You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. In the 1940s, Hendrik Johannes van der Bell, an electrical engineer and industrialist and regarded as uh, one of the greatest South Africans for his contribution to the country's development, brought his vision for an industrialized South Africa to life. He was the driving force behind the establishment of ESCOM and uh, the South African Steel and Iron Corporation, ESCOR, with cheap input secured through uh, strategic state involvement in securing iron ore feedstock for ESCOR and cheap electricity prices combined with cheap labor. South Africa powered ahead to become the most industrialized nation on the African continent. Now fast forward uh, 80 odd years and the situation couldn't be more different. ESCOM is more constrained to growth than enabler as prices have skyrocketed and uh, ESCOR uh, which was sold uh, to Indian businessman Lakshmi Mittal to become ArcelorMittal South Africa, Africa's biggest steel producer in the mid-2000s, is trading as something of a penny stock. A shadow of its former glory though it is coming back its workforce halved since that uh, Lakshmi deal and the reindustrialization and steel pricing debate rages on in the country. Downstream consumers complain that artificially high prices are undercutting our manufacturing competitiveness. Prices are kept high to, uh, due to import duties granted to AMTA just to combat the flood of steel from China. Trade, Industry and Competition Minister Ibrahim Patel stated the obvious in his budget speech recently, though, by saying that South Africa's import-to-GDP ratio is too high for a country that desperately needs more jobs. He was also on point in stating that uh, competitiveness and industrial agility are critical to longer-run localization efforts. Now, downstream steel users complain that steel prices are being raised almost weekly by ArcelorMittal SA to uh, levels where, if the company isn't profitable now, then uh, it must lack the industrial agility to ever succeed. Meanwhile, steel fabricators still have to pay an effective 18% duty on imported raw steel to protect AMSA, and they are shedding jobs as they battle to compete against imported steel manufacturers attracting minimal tariffs. Our opposition to the extension of safeguard duties on steel imports is intensifying, with the country's leading merchants uh, challenging the extension of the duties in court, and with others even questioning the economic benefits of sustaining a primary steel producer. To debate this, I'm joined now by ArcelorMittal South Africa CEO Kubis Vester, Mike Benfield, CEO of South Africa's largest steel merchant, Max Steel, and Talib Sadiq, who's the former CEO of Danel. Kubis, firstly, we've been seeing some dangerous fluctuations in steel supply and pricing even before COVID. AMSA closed some plants and coming back from COVID, uh, we've been seeing that the steel supply uh, has started to come back into something of balance. You responded by reopening all of your blast furnaces uh, towards uh, the middle and back end of last year. What exactly are you seeing when it comes to the supply and demand equation in the local steel market? I think firstly, from a, from a volume perspective, Metal South Africa are now running all of its assets. Um, and the reason for my comment is sort of our daily, weekly, monthly production currently is in line or maybe a bit more than the actual consumption in South Africa. So supply demand is from a consumption perspective is largely uh, in sync. Yes, we still have some backlogs that we deal with, uh, but uh, currently the demand supply is balanced from a production perspective. Prices, we follow international prices. As you know, we have a, a prescribed uh, basket pricing mechanism, which basically cap our prices. And then we also have to make sure that prices is not higher than import parity. And especially import parity from countries that's not bound by the safeguard. 
Uh, and there, I think uh, prices has uh, increased some countries threefold, most likely in South Africa doubled over the last year. Mike, what are you seeing in terms of prices? Uh, you're nodding there, and, and I hear from some in the downstream that uh, prices are increasing almost weekly, and we've certainly seen that uh, in line with the rise in iron ore prices. Iron ore prices have come off just of late, though. What are you seeing in terms of pricing in the market? I concur with what Kubis is saying, uh, Michael. Um, prices internationally have skyrocketed over the year, you know, close to 100% in the last 12 months on hot roll coil. Uh, it's an international phenomenon. It's a supply and demand push, uh, and pricing has unfortunately gone haywire in 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 that regard. So, you know, um, when when customers say or people say that prices are jumping per week, I think that's not necessarily the case at a general at a general level. Um, I think um, when AMSA pushes out puts out prices, that tends to set the the floor on pricing. Uh, in particular categories, there are uh, other categories of steel, uh, steel that do do have potentially other vagaries attached to them from a pricing perspective. Uh, but generally, um, prices month to month have been been adjusting over the last four or five months on a regular basis, as we've seen the international prices change. Um, and you know, I'm not going to you know get into the the, the merits of the basket, etc. right now, but essentially it's, a, it's an international push from a pricing perspective. And what is the gap between the base price, that floor that you say that AMSA sets, and the price that the merchants are selling at? Uh, I do believe that there's a significant margin in this for the merchants. <laughs> we all have to make money at some point, but um, I think it's not an, an out of kilter with histo historical uh, margins. We all run distribution networks, warehousing, we supply, st sell steel on credit, um, et cetera, et cetera, it all costs money. And typically that commands a, a margin and that margin is very competitive in the space. There's, it's a very, it's a highly competitive uh, merchanting space in South Africa. And, and that tends to set the price at, on a supply and demand basis. There's daily trading, hourly trading taking place and it's, there's no dominant position from a price perspective. I think the price finds a level that, that uh, is, is satisfactory uh, relative to the floor, floor price that I, that I talk about. Um, you know, it's, it's margins, you know, if margins are a, a factor of current replacement costs, then, um, then, you, then I think the margins aren't any different to what they were historically. Uh, maybe it's one or two points higher, but certainly mm. I think they're reasonable from a, a current margin perspective. Typically in this backlog situation, uh, you, you tend to have pricing attached to historical levels where, where pri you're getting steel at, at old pricing. But that's that's just that's not sustainable pricing. It'll drop off immediately as your your inventory reg, uh, sort of normalizes uh, to current replacement costs, and and those are the risks because as prices drop, which we've had historically, you take you take a be a beating um, as you have to because you typically price your steel at a merchant level basis replacement cost because you've got to replace you've got to generate the money to replace that length of steel that you're selling today.
And in terms of a percentage margin there, are you at liberty to reveal what that is? I mean, on average, of what, what well, is historical? 20%? Are we saying it's now 25, 30%? No, it's, it's, that's a state secret, Michael, but it's, <laughs> it's between 15 and, and 20%. Right, right. Uh, Talib, I just want to bring you in here because the, the conversation really was sparked by uh, a quick correspondence that, that we had in, in follow-up to a similar discussion I had with Kurbis and, and Nicolette and Gerard uh, Papenfuss of Niasa last year, just talking about this issue of localization in South Africa. And if we're going to localize, if we're going to boost industrialization, we have to have a really frank conversation conversation around the price issue and the steel price issue. What are you seeing? Yeah, uh, Michael, uh, thank you for, for having me. Uh, I think the point, uh, there's a couple of headlines. The one big headline is that since April 20 until maybe April 21 or May 21, the price of steel in South Africa has increased by 70%. Okay, now, if you are at a downstream level, you are working for a client base and those clients are either in a regulatory, like regulatory environment where they cannot then increase their prices onto consumers by that, by that amount of money. And also from an affordability point of view, the ultimate person is the South African citizen. And can they sustain these high levels of increases? So that's the one issue, which is where we as a down, I'm on the board of a, of a company and they've experienced an increase of 70% in the price of steel. That's the one. The second issue is that we find ourselves globally uncompetitive. When we do bid for work, either in the rest of Africa or globally, we find we are about 30% more expensive. So the point you've raised earlier on about Minister Patel wanting to us to reduce import, and I suppose, you know, we do talk about the economic recovery plan of South Africa, and that's not to focus on the South African domestic market, it's also to export, and we find ourselves being uncompetitive. The tariffs that were, in, uh, that were introduced, both the safeguard, which is the point you touched on, that was, uh, you know, to protect the local market, to stop imports of steel. But what we, what we did find over the past year, I mean, Kubis did make the point that uh, AMSA has now upped their game and they are now meeting the domestic demand. But for a significant period of time, Domestic demand uh, outstripped supply, yet we had these tariffs imposed, and that was unfair. I think just at, at the headline, I can share that with you. I think in terms of localization, you know, very important for us, industrialization, if we want to grow our economy, we all speak about the positive trade balance, and we do know that that's been driven by the commodity pricing that's taken place and that we did see that story 10, 15 years ago where the commodity pricing were at a high and when it comes down we then end up with a trade, uh, deficit trade account. So mm. it's not robust. Mm. And I, you Thanks, know, I want to pick up on that point with you, Corbis. Uh, the, the, the question on future pricing mechanisms, and, and we know the five-year agreement that was established, I think it was five years ago now, it must be coming to the end of its life. So we're having this conversation now within the context of where South Africa finds itself. Uh, the, the policy levers are to support localization, to try and reindustrialize with all the constraints and the bottlenecks around energy. Let's park those to one side for a second. How do we price steel in South Africa in such a way so as uh, to benefit all the role players in the value chain while also ensuring that AMSA is sustainable? Uh, Kobus, what would you like to see? I think the pricing mechanism uh, currently is 
is a, is a mixture uh, of international prices. So if prices in South Africa go up by 70% uh, as indicated, I mean internationally, as I said, in the US, they tripled. So uh, you can't expect that uh, South Africa price must be at, at a discount. We also talk about prices in AMSA in, in fairly general terms. I mean, there's a long market and there's a flat market. Uh, the long market for mostly construction industry, there's competitors. Uh, we're not the only supplier, there's many suppliers. It's also been in the backlog situation. The backlog situation is not unique to South Africa and has not been unique uh, to South Africa. I mean, it's all over the world. Uh, other countries have put automotive on a uh, sort of a quota basis. And it's not limited to steel. I mean, you have the same issues with semiconductors, timber supply, cement supply, from a pricing perspective, as well as a backlog situation. I think people must understand that uh, COVID 2020 and where we now is a once in a hundred year event. Uh, and our facilities is not something that you stop and start. I mean, we were one of the uh, countries where we had a hard lockdown, where you stop assets, which normally run for 15 years and bringing them back has, has obviously uh, complications. So uh, future steel prices like other commodities will be internationally linked. Uh, the precise configuration, obviously one can have a conversation around that, uh, but you can't expect that your, your, your steel in South Africa should be discounted uh, for some reason. While we actually have many competitive disadvantages, you refer to the electricity, I mean, from a rail perspective, um, in the past months, even if we wanted to produce more steel, we're unable to do that because we don't have the logistical uh, confidence or supply ability to actually deliver iron ore and, and, and coal. So we have our own uh, issues to deal with. The difference is when you talk about prices, we don't put our prices, we put prices up on a monthly basis. That's the formula that we use, so it can't go up weekly. The ultimate price in the market is dependent on the markup in the whole supply chain, which is not visible to us or to anybody. The only visibility you have is ArcelorMittal, who actually publishes prices and also publishes financial results. Mike uh, Benfield, how would you like to see this approached in a far more sustainable manner? Because the downstream have complained at being almost sidelined or, or left out of the discussions and negotiations for, for a long time now. Those are coming up for renewal. What would you like to see as a sustainable solution put forward on the table to, uh, to ensure that we have uh, a sustainable primary producer as well as a sustainable downstream merchants that are able to de derive a reasonable margin and uh, a, a country that can uh, grow our industrial base? Yeah, Michael, I, I, it's, it's a complicated environment. I think we all need the primary steel producer in this country. I think the benefits of having a, a primary steel producer down the road are significant. I think the lead times associated with imports are sometimes just not affordable. You know, we, you, you have to spend a lot of money to fill that import chain, that working capital position. It's significant. So I think from a South African perspective, we need a sustainable primary producer down the road. But at the same time, we need choice. I think the consumer needs choice in terms of where they buy steel from. And choice also comes down to what you're using the steel for. 
You know, are you, what is the downstream economy using steel for? They're competing with finished goods coming through the border on an import basis. They need to be competitive when competing with the substitute products. So that price mechanism needs to be well set. And, and I keep saying it needs to be market. Market forces need to dictate what those price points need to be. But at the same time, when one focuses on industrialization and building manufacturing output in South Africa, there needs to be some form of duty framework, I think, I believe, in, but well positioned, aimed at the right at the right level of the economy, the right level of the supply chain. So if you have a desk and a chair or a wheelbarrow being imported in a container every single month, why not levy a duty on that to enhance the production capacity and, and manufacturing capacity in South Africa of the local producer? So it's the finished goods that get levied, mm. a duty get levied on, as opposed to the primary market, the primary steel. And I think if one has to go back to the argument of having a sustainable primary producer, it's demand. Kubis needs demand. Kubis needs consistent uh, production so he can run his assets at capacity um, so that he can build profit off the back of, of demand rather than mm. supply side mm. pr pricing mm. pressures. Yeah. These price points that we're experiencing now are just not sustainable. We need a balanced view around how price works. And I keep saying, let the market dictate, let the market determine where that price point should be. Mm. The, the, the producer of the finished goods needs to be protected in South Africa to a point, to a point. And, and I think that's, that's the complexity of it all. But we have, as, as an industry, as, a, as an industrial sector, need to come together to come to a point where we protect the right element of the of, of the supply chain I, you know that's mm. it's a very complicated mm. environment mm. and Talib to bring you in I know the the steel master plan is going to try and grapple with all of these issues what would your input and your formal advice be if you were invited to present to uh, the, the steel master plan as they look to consolidate views uh, from all role players here to ensure that we can balance all of these forces at play yeah uh Thanks, Michael. I think I fully agree on the need for a primary steel producer. What we do need to ensure is that it is globally competitive. It's not inefficient. Uh, at the time when South Africa did the transaction with, uh, with the Mittal family over 20 years ago, you know, we need to look at those promises that were made then in terms of making AMSA globally competitive and enable it to access international markets. What we have learned recently is that AMSA has now turned their focus purely on the domestic market. And I don't think that was the intention to bring in one of the top rated uh, steel companies in the world. I think we also need to look at do we go with a tariff model or a subsidy model? Uh, you know, does AMSA need a, a subsidy or do the downstream manufacturers need, need a subsidy in order to be competitive? Many years ago, we did see the commodity boom. I know discussions are happening in Australia as to whether there should be a super tax imposed on these commodity producers. Now, AMSA used to enjoy this preferential pricing until 10, uh, 10 years ago on the cost plus. Uh, you know, I, I think the transparency with regard to steel pricing, uh, just to wrap up here, you know, uh, we, we definitely need to drive 
an increasing returns economy, which is where our downstream manufacturers are playing. And many of these manufacturers operate with very thin balance sheets. They do not have strong parents uh, or strong banking facilities, very entrepreneurial businesses. And for these businesses, whatever the reason, to be hit with 70% increases and to expect that these downstream manufacturers can go back to their clients and say, guys, we've got a 70% increase, we now need you to absorb that. I think that is very rich. Uh, I mean, that's not sustainable. And it's very easy to close down your downstream manufacturers, but to recreate them, very difficult. Similar mm. arguments for keeping a primary steel producer, we should have the similar views on the need to have sustainable downstream manufacturers. On that point, Kurbis, and as we've got three minutes to go, and if one con considers the current steel price agreement, which was concluded around five years ago, as I said earlier, um, that's now coming up for renewal. Uh, were, were the downstream businesses much smaller, much more fragmented, but were they included in those negotiations back then? Uh, and how are the current negotiations going as this five-year agreement uh, draws to a close? Well, firstly, I think in terms of, the, of the, the current price levels, just to comment on that, I mean, to the extent if we did not have the pricing agreement, SA prices could have been substantially higher. Uh, as I said to you, the international increase is, is much more than the domestic market. Um, I'm not aware uh, about their involvement. Um, but coming back, we're talking once again about prices uh, of AMSA only. We have exactly the same type of price increases in the long product market where we one of the 10 players. So they also follow a, a more scrap-based but also an international trend. So despite even the um, export tax on scrap, you see a, a substantial price increase in that markets as well. Mm. Then in terms of the uh, exports, um, AMSA is one of the only companies that actually give value-added export rebates to our customers to enable them to compete internationally. So you see the list price that's available uh, to everybody. But then we do discounting to allow people to be competitive in the international market. Just on, on the steel pricing agreement, then, have, have you started negotiations uh, for for the extension of, of the agreement for, or for a new agreement? And can you just shed some light on, on who is involved in those negotiations if you have? No, we have not started uh, negotiations yet. And when will that start, Kurbis? I would assume soon. I mean, the pricing arrangement is there. Uh, and I mean, it can continue. Um, you must remember, our basket price put a cap on our price. We cannot increase the price uh, mm. currently. Mm. Secondly, you've got import parity pricing. So there's a, an, another cap on. So I'm sorry, the pricing arrangement is actually um, not necessarily advantage, uh, mm. advantageous to us. Mm. Mm. We've got a double cap, the import parity as well as the basket. And I'm sure some in the downstream might, might contest that, which is why my earlier point was raised about whether or not the downstream were included last time, whether or not they'll be included this time round for full transparency. Are you considering including them? I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a commercial issue for AMSA to have a discussion around its pricing. I, I'm not involved in any of the downstream pricing mechanisms to their customers. Um, so I think one has to have a balanced view uh, on, on, 
AMSA's engagement uh, with government on this. And without the pricing agreement, as I said to you, the prices would have been substantially more because the basket only put a cap on our prices. Mm. That is the other side of what is a very thin edge of the wedge of this particular debate. We eagerly await the steel master plan as well to give further inputs and guidance around uh, how the steel price will be regulated in South Africa in the future. Thank you very much to all our panelists today. Kurbis Verster, the CEO of Mittel South Africa. Mike Benfield, CEO of South Africa's largest steel merchant, Max Steel. And Talib Sadek, uh, former acting CEO of Danel.